0: Hello, dear listener. This is Tanner here with Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. A reminder that these episodes about Ukraine and Russia are not scripted. They are reporting as quickly as events happen, as often as I can get them. Sometimes I will misspeak. Sometimes I will say things that are untrue, simply because the information that I have at the time is all that I'm being given. In the future, we may look back at things I say here and we'll realize, oh, he was totally wrong about that. But remember, I am doing this because I want people to be as updated as I am, because I'm trying to stay as updated as possible about the events that are happening and trying to report them as unbiased as I possibly can. So, with that being said, please give me grace if I misspeak, and please remember that I'm trying to do my absolute best. Without further ado, enjoy this one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. This is Tanner on the podcast Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. We're talking about stuff that happened. And if you've been paying attention to the podcast recently, you know that we are talking pretty consistently about the war between the Ukraine and Russian forces happening in the Ukraine. We talked about the reasons why it was happening. We talked about the war in the first week as it was taking place in the advance of the Russian army into Ukraine. And I'm just giving as many updates as I possibly can as that work continues. Remember, if you enjoy the podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Drop me a five-star review and let me know what you think of the podcast. It means a lot to me and it gets more people involved in this conversation. I'm trying to bring you as much pure information as I possibly can. And uh, so let's get this started. Um, now if I'm sounding a little bit different today, it's because I think I'm coming down with some kind of illness. I don't know if it's an illness. Uh, I don't know if it's allergies. We had some, we had this weird warm spell where I was and then it got really cold again. Maybe my body's just kind of in whiplash, but I'm having some congestion. I'm having some throat issues, but don't worry about me. I will be fine. I'm taking my vitamins. All right, let's get into this. So what we're talking about today are a series of developments, but not on the ground in Ukraine. There are very minimal things happening on the ground in Ukraine in terms of movement of forces, movement of front lines. But there have been more international things that are going on that I feel are important to talk about because the stakes have been heightened in this conflict. So we got to talk about that really quick. But really quick, let's talk about what's going on on the ground in Ukraine. Like I said, not a lot has changed in the past couple days on the ground in Ukraine. Not a lot of gains by the Russian military. The Ukrainian forces have reportedly been able to push them back a little bit in the south, but overall, just not a lot of movement happening between the two forces in the front lines. So what we're looking at now is, uh, we looked at the fighting in Kyiv, we looked at the fighting in Kharkiv. Um, we know the, south, the southern city of Kherson has fallen to Russian forces. That's the first major population center to fall to Russian forces since the war began. <clears throat> and now we're looking at the city of Mariupol. Mariupol is a port city on the Black Sea in uh, in the southeastern part of Ukraine. And the Russians have completely surrounded the city and have laid siege to it. Several days ago, the Russian military began a siege of that city. Um, and they have completely cut off water and gas to the city. So the city has no heat and no water. So there's no clean drinking water in the city, and there's no heat. They can only live on bottled water, and they're running very low on that. And no food can also get into the city. So in this time, while people are slowly running out of food, the Russians have continued to bombard the city with artillery, and a lot of civilians have reportedly died. Reportedly several hundred civilians have died in that bombardment. It's indiscriminate, and it is, in essence, a war crime perpetrated by the Russian military. Well, a couple days ago, there was a ceasefire agreed upon between Ukraine and Russia so that there could be humanitarian corridors established in the city of Mariupol. So any citizens who want to get out of the city while the war continues can get out of there without be- without worrying about being shot by Russian forces so or accidental Ukrainian friendly fire. So the Russians said, OK, fine, we won't shoot for five hours between 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. on this designated day. It was a couple days ago. The Ukrainians said, okay, fine, we won't fire either. Let's just get our citizens out of here. So the ceasefire was agreed upon, but the ceasefire completely broke down. As citizens started to leave the city, apparently they all turned back. Ukrainian reports say that as citizens started leaving the city, they were turned back when Russians started shelling the city again in blatant violation of the agreed-upon ceasefire. Russians said that Ukrainian nationalists are not letting any civilians leave the city because they think they're going to try to flee to Russia, and they're not allowing people to flee into Russia. So, Russians are saying Ukrainians are keeping people in the city. Ukrainians are saying Russians violated the ceasefire we don't have any explicit reports that will corroborate either of these claims but that's what the two sides are saying remember there's also a propaganda war being perpetrated during this conflict and we're going to talk about that in a little bit but it's uh, that's what's going on that's the most significant thing that's happening in the southeastern part of Ukraine right now. Also on the ground, looking back at the nuclear power plant we talked about a few days ago where there was fighting right next to a nuclear power plant and people were freaking out about a potential nuclear meltdown and the worst disaster in European history since Chernobyl, um... That nuclear power plant has fallen completely under Russian control now and the Russians are able to shut it off or turn it on at their leisure except for it is still powered by Ukrainian officials and Ukrainian engineers. So until Russians can get their own engineers into that power plant, Ukrainians still have control over it and the Russian military is at the whims of whatever that those Ukrainian civilians choose to do with that power plant. It's an interesting little dynamic going on there, but uh, that's what's going on right there. No, we're not at risk of a complete nuclear meltdown from that power plant at the moment. So whatever you hear from the news, don't freak out about it. And looking at that convoy, the 40-mile convoy that everyone was freaking out about, even almost a week ago, still really hasn't made a lot of movement toward Kiev in We're wondering why that's just kind of sitting there, not really doing anything. Initially, everyone was thinking, oh, it's just logistical issues. There's not enough gas. There's not enough people. For whatever reason, it's just getting bogged down for whatever reason. It's just... But, I mean, it's been sitting there for a while, and I'm really starting to get curious as to why. Alright, on the international stage. First, I want to say that something really curious has happened on the Belarus-Polish border, And what's happening there is that there is an American-made aircraft, a spy plane, that's been patrolling along that border for the last couple days. It's kind of flying back and forth north to south along the Belarus-Polish border. Now, the Belarus-Polish border is the border between NATO countries, North Atlantic Treaty Organization countries, and the Russian bloc countries, which is Russia, Belarus, and how Russia's trying to put Ukraine in that bloc. So that's the border right there between Poland and that block. So there have been a there's been a significant buildup of uh, military equipment on that border, and a lot of people are saying, oh, that's just their the equipment where they're storing it, so they can invade it, invade Ukraine with it. But a lot of people are getting very very nervous about that because of Putin's rhetoric, and the belief systems that are starting to swell that. Putin is a little bit unhinged. He's not totally all there upstairs. And that's why he's doing this invasion because he can't think as rationally as he used to be able to when he was in the KGB, when he was young. And so people are starting to get more nervous about that. And so there's a, there's a plane that's American made. We're not sure if it's being flown by Americans, but it's, it's a Lockheed Martin plane that is patrolling up and down the Polish Belarus border. And so this is showing up on sky maps, which means that it has a tracking device on. So it's very blatantly showing the Belarusian government and the Russians that uh, someone from NATO is patrolling that border. We don't know if it's Polish, we don't know if it's American, we don't know if it's some other nationality that's just kind of patrolling to make sure nothing happens there, but it also shows that NATO has a fundamental distrust of Putin's objectives right now, and they recognize that Putin is a little bit more of a loose cannon than he may have been letting on for the last couple decades, so... They're observing that very closely and that's just just an interesting thing that I saw showing up on these uh, aviation maps. So, we're going to stop talking about what's going on on the ground and in the air in Ukraine. We're talking about the more international politics thing that's going on right now because there's a lot of developments right here. So, First of all, we want to talk about that the United States has officially announced that it is strongly considering banning oil imports from Russia. Now, before anybody freaks out about this and says this is a huge thing, the United States only imports about 10% of what Russia is exporting in terms of oil. And so if the United States says, no, we're not doing it anymore, Russia loses 10% of its oil sales, which, while it would hurt the Russian economy, it wouldn't hurt it as much as if everybody stopped buying oil from Russia. Now... This is important to look at because this could actually really affect the United States and the you know, and the economy of the United States, which would ultimately affect the uh, working class of the United States because the working class is the one who buys the most gas, and, um, and the gas our gas bills are the bills that affect our wallets the most. Upper class people don't worry so much about how much their gas costs because they have a lot of expendable income, but the working class are the ones who have to pay a lot more in... Uh, percentage wise of their monthly income to pay for their gas. And if, if the United States stops importing gas from Russia, it would, it would seriously affect our energy sector. And what that would mean for the working class is that we would see a lot higher gas prices right now where I am. We're nearing $4 a, ga- a gallon in the next week. We may even see more than $4 a gallon. If we stop importing Russian oil, we will, I, I imagine we will quickly see maybe $5 a gallon where I'm at $6 in other parts of the country and that would be really painful to go to the pump to pay once a week, maybe once every two weeks if you're lucky. And while this would be a hit to the Russian oil sector, it would not, like I said, it would not be as much of a hit as if the rest of Europe decided to stop importing oil, which would cut off, I imagine, maybe 75% of Russia's oil exports, which would really devastate its economy because oil is Russia's chief export. And so if if Europe and the West was going to completely stop buying oil altogether. It would just be devastating to Russia. And so maybe if the United States decides, Hey, we're going to take that leap. It's going to be tough, but we're going to do it so we can stop this invasion. Maybe that would be one step closer to making Putin back down off of this invasion because it was just destroying his economy. And I'm sure the oligarchs that are really enjoying the profits they're reaping from Russia's oil sector and have been for the last couple decades. I'm sure it would be very painful for them. And they'd be very, very upset about that. So, um, let's, Let's keep an eye on that. It's going to be interesting because what could happen is either Putin will back down or Putin will double down and then we could see a lot more scary stuff because when a loose cannon is backed into a corner, it's possible that he could just start firing in all directions, which could be really scary. So let's see how that goes. To piggyback off that, Putin in the past couple days has said outright that the sanctions that the U.S. is putting on Russia and that the rest of the West is putting on Russia, he considers that to be an act of Aggression, more or less an act of war on the people of Russia. And because Putin sees it that way, that makes me feel more and more like he's a little bit unhinged upstairs because he's just kind of saying these things that are kind of scary things to be saying, especially because he's a nuclear power. Now the US and the West have been very forward about how we're giving a lot of guns and a lot of weaponry to Ukraine. We haven't been totally forthcoming about all of the weapons that we're sending into Ukraine. We have we've we know we've sent a bunch of Stinger missiles in there, but we don't know the extent of exactly what we're throwing at them. Now what we have learned from the Biden administration the last few days is that they are seriously considering sending a bunch of war planes into the Ukraine so that the Ukraine can fight off the Russian invaders that are bombing their cities from the sky which would be very helpful to the ukrainian fighters but as we send more and more weaponry into ukraine putin is starting to say more and more often that the u.s is in the and the rest of the western countries are inching closer and closer to war with russia because putin has already said that outright he just he considers this an act of war against his people and an act of blatant aggression against his people which he could use as an actual justification for a declaration of war against all the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which, at best, would lead to the deaths of probably millions of people, and, at worst, would lead to global thermonuclear war, which would be essentially the extinction of the human race as we know it. The only survivors would be essentially living underground. So, I'm bringing that up because, is it wise for the West to continue shipping this many weapons into Ukraine to fight off the Russian invaders if Putin is outright saying that he considers this an act of aggression toward the Russian Federation. I don't know. I'm not going to make that decision right here. I'm just purveying the facts. So let's keep that in mind when we're thinking about how many weapons we're sending into, into the Ukraine, because up to this point, most of the Western countries have strongly advocated And and the people of the Western countries have strongly advocated for NATO intervention in Ukraine, and NATO is intervening in Ukraine, sending all of these, all this weaponry into the Ukraine. Like I said a couple episodes ago, Ukraine is probably the most well-equipped military in the world right now, because so many NATO countries are sending so much of this military equipment into their country, but what could that mean? Well, what that could mean is that essentially we're entering into a proxy war and a proxy war was seen a lot during the Cold War We saw it in most prominently in Korea and Vietnam, but we also saw it in places like Andorra We saw it in places like Algeria, Sudan, Lebanon, Congo Eritrea, Yemen, Indonesia, Chad, the Dominican Republic, Thailand, Bolivia, South Africa, Nigeria, we saw it all over the place, and now it hasn't happened in a lot of years, but now it's happening again, and that's frightening, but let me essentially explain what a proxy war is, after dumping all that info on you. Proxy war is essentially a war where there's two minor combatants fighting against one another, but there are two larger combatants supplying those two minor combatants, so take for instance the Korean War. So it was South Korea versus North Korea. Now, if South Korea and North Korea just fought each other, the war would have been over fairly quickly with North North Korea walking away with the win, but it lasted a lot longer because the United States and other Western powers intervened. We sent troops into Korea, and we supplied the South Korean army, and the U.S. was able to push North Korea back to the northern border of Korea with China. Then the Chinese intervened. Chinese sent a bunch of troops over the border, and then it was... South Korean and and U.S. soldiers fighting against North Korean and Chinese soldiers, and that's when it became a very intense global hotspot, where we almost had World War III, but fortunately we didn't, and that's something of a proxy war. A better example of what we're looking at here is the war in... uh, Afghanistan that the Soviet Union fought not the war in Afghanistan that the United States fought but the war in Afghanistan that the Soviet Union fought when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan tried to establish a a Soviet puppet government in the Afghan government and Russia the Soviet Union had a lot of boots on the ground potentially hundreds of thousands of boots on the ground in the Afghan territory but the United States was not directly involved however the United States was supplying a large population of Afghan rebels who were fighting against the Soviet occupation, and they were giving them guns and bombs and planes, and that's how it made it very, very difficult for the Soviet Union to maintain a foothold in Afghanistan, and eventually the Soviet Union pulled out of Afghanistan because it wasn't worth it for them to keep staying there and losing all these soldiers because public opinion was turning against the Soviet government on the home front, and it was really draining Soviet coffers. And so they pulled out. So that was something of a proxy war. What's happening now in Ukraine is that Russia has invaded the Ukraine. And they're, they quickly made made some gains in the Ukrainian territory. But the advance has stagnated because the West is sending so many weapons into the Ukraine. So many Western countries are supplying the Ukrainian military which is making it very very difficult for the russians to keep advancing and this is becoming something of a proxy war which could be somewhat dangerous for the world because russia could consider that an act of war against the russian federation and like i just said a little while ago putin could see it that way and we're looking at a proxy war Because not only are Russian troops in there, but we're also receiving reports that the Russians have been recruiting Syrian fighters from inside Syria. Remember, Russia has been inside Syria for a lot of years trying to prop up the Syrian government and make them a Soviet, Soviet, a Russian puppet state. And so Syrian fighters who are affectionate toward the Russian government because they've been helping them prop up their own government. It's very likely that Syrian fighters who are very experienced in urban combat from years in the Syrian civil war are going to go into Ukraine and fight for the Russian Federation. We already know that there are a bunch of Chechnyan fighters that are aiding the the, uh, Russian military. Now, Chechnya is in Russia, but it really considers itself to be separate from the rest of Russia. And now it's official that troops from Belarus have joined the conflict, and so this is not only Russia, this is Russia and Belarus with fighters from Syria and Chechenian militants that are coming into fight. Now we have the Ukraine, where the Ukraine is essentially standing alone against these forces, but not quite because... We do have the Volunteer Legion that Ukrainian President Zelensky has set up, in which he said in the first few days, 16,000 foreign fighters signed up to fight with the Ukrainian military, and most of those have already gotten to Ukraine and are actively fighting against Russian aggression. And since that International Brigade was created, it's been... I think, almost a week since then, and so there have probably been a lot more people who have signed up to fight for the Ukraine. And so since there's people of all these different nationalities who are fighting inside Ukraine against Russian aggression, this could be considered a proxy war because that... Organization that Zelensky created could be used as a way for the United States and other Western countries to get some of their soldiers into the Ukraine to fight against the Russian military without actively saying that these are soldiers we're sending in by government by by way of a government order or a military order. It could be a very sneaky way to get soldiers from Western countries into the Ukraine. So this could very easily become a long, drawn-out proxy war. Remember, the Angolan Civil War lasted literally almost 30 years. This could go on for that long. We don't know yet, but it could. But in terms of the end of the conflict, we have a possible silver lining here. And that silver lining is that Russia has officially offered an endgame. Offered it directly to the Ukrainian government they've said if you accept these terms we will call off the war altogether and what the ukrainian or what the russian government has offered to the ukraine is they've said if you recognize officially that crimea is part of russia and that the eastern donetsk and luhansk republics are independent from the ukraine and they are sovereign states of their own volition and if you agree to allow russia to appoint the prime minister of the ukraine We will stop fighting you. And we will immediately pull troops out of the Ukraine. Now wait, Zelensky's president. He's not prime minister, he's president. Well, the Ukrainian government functions a little bit differently than the government of the United States. In the Ukrainian government, there is a prime minister and a president. They have different roles, but they work for the same office, the executive branch of their respective government. And so, if Russia was able to institute a prime minister... It would have a pro-Russia prime minister and then Zelensky, who is a very pro-Ukrainian nationalist. And it would be very difficult for anything to get accomplished in the Ukrainian government, which would make it easy for Russia to put their foot down and kind of decide what was going on in the Ukraine. Because they also said earlier in these talks, they all, they, one of their, another one of their terms was that the Ukrainian government had to put into their constitution that they would never join any bloc which essentially means they would never join a Western bloc. We talked about that a couple episodes ago. So those are the terms that Russia offered to the Ukraine. They said, we will immediately pull all troops out of Ukraine if you agree to all of these terms. I don't believe that Zelensky is going to agree to any of these terms because Zelensky is a nationalist Ukrainian and the Russian invasion has completely disrupted his the, the people of his country's way of life. And it's an invasion of a foreign force, and so he is actively fighting against it, and I don't think he's going to back down just because Russia says, okay, we win, now, you agree to this, and we'll back out. I don't think he's going to do that. The Ukrainian people have fought too hard for too long already, it's only been almost two weeks, and they have fought very, very hard against the Russian aggression. I do not think that Putin anticipated this war was going to last for this long, but it has, and that's interesting. Okay, the last story that I'm going to talk about here is that there is a media war going on between the West and the and Russia. And this is more of a discussion question or a discussion topic we can talk about a little bit. Now, in every war, there's propaganda. In every single war, the country... It, the Countries on both sides create propaganda to convince their people that they're fighting the good fight. In the United States, they painted... Germany, uh, Germany and Japan as these brutal, terrifying, inhuman invaders. And that's how they got the, the American people to get on board and buy war bonds. So they could have money to fight the war and stuff like that. And were the Germans and the Japanese kind of inhuman invaders sometimes? Yes, of course they were. Everybody becomes that in war a little bit, but also in Germany, you know, Germany painted everybody who was not ethnically german as subhuman for a decade before the war even broke out japan convinced its people that it was it was supposed to be the leaders of the of the world overall like not just not not just the east but the whole world japan convinced its whole people that that was supposed to happen and so they went along with the war for as long as it dragged on so there is propaganda happening on both sides right now and there's a media war happening because Russia has officially blocked Twitter and Facebook in their country. You can't get on Twitter or Facebook. I think you can use a VPN, um, but you can't get on Twitter or Facebook in that country if you don't have a VPN. Because they said it was full of disinformation about the uh, war in Ukraine. Now, what I really think was going on is that the Russian people were seeing videos of Russian planes and Russian artillery shelling cities and killing civilians. And so they said, okay, well we need to get rid of this because it's turning our people against us with all these crazy protests going on, which by the way, I think there have been like four to five thousand arrests that have happened in Russia because of those protests by now. We're two weeks into the war and five thousand arrests because of the war? Anti-war protests? That's a lot, especially for a state that has essentially outlawed protesting. Now, the United States has blocked RT, which is a Russian state television station that hosts pro-Russian rhetoric so the United States blocked this station because it was saying no Russia's in the right Russias in the right Russias in the right Russia's justified is the United States justified in doing that I don't know I'm not gonna make that decision is Russia justified in blocking all of the social media platforms I don't know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make that decision because if the United States was attacking a, a sovereign country and the United States blocked a so a social media platforms because there was some kind of disinformation happening i i wouldn't i wouldn't know what to think of that honestly i wouldn't know what to think of that and i'm going to be outright about that because a lot of times i don't know what's real anymore and that's just how it goes unfortunately the big question is which propaganda is more true which propaganda is less true the russian federation came out and said they are fighting globalism and they are fighting for traditional family values now, if you're if you're not a supporter of globalism, if you don't want a global society and you do want traditional family values, does that immediately mean that Russia is telling the absolute truth about that? And would you immediately side with Russia if you saw that that's what they were fighting for after seeing Russia bombing civilian centers and killing civilians? It's a complicated issue. If you don't want traditional family values and you do want a global society then obviously you're anti-Russia but does that immediately mean you're pro-Ukraine what if it comes out that Ukraine has been indiscriminately killing civilians as Russia said they were we don't know what's true anymore that's the really difficult thing about it and that's really difficult thing about this whole conflict so we'll see we'll see what happens all right I've got one more news story for you that I totally forgot about until right now, but I'll be really quick about this one. So, there are three credit card companies that have canceled all payments going outbound from Russia and going inbound to Russia. And that's Visa, MasterCard, and American Express. So, those three credit card companies, which are very big credit card companies, have officially canceled any outbound payments from Russia into anywhere else in the world or from anywhere else in the world into russia you can still use them inside russia so if you go to a store in russia and you're and you're a russian person you can still pay using those credit cards as far as i know i don't i'm not absolutely sure of that but as far as i understand that's what's going on there but if you're a russian citizen and you want to buy ukrainian product you cannot make that payment anymore using visa mastercard or american express if you're a Russian citizen and you want to buy something from Mexico, or something from Sweden, or something from South Africa, or something from India, or something from Australia, or something from Algeria, or something from you know, anywhere in the world, you can no longer make that you can no longer make that purchase using Visa, MasterCard, and American Express, which as far as I know are three of the biggest credit card companies in the world. Now, Russia has turned its attention to China and they are now using a Chinese credit card, which is kind of frightening to me because if you remember, China is under the rule of the Chinese Communist Party. China is essentially communist. They're not communist in practice, but they're communist in theory, which means that while there's a lot of capitalist elements happening inside the Chinese Republic, quote-unquote Republic, there are... the, the, the Chinese Communist Party has control over anything that it wants. So if a company is in china and they've worked really hard to build themselves up but they become too big the chinese communist party can immediately take control of that company because they're like well we're a communist society the rights of the product are owned by the workers rights of production the means of production are owned by the workers and you know yada 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 all that communist good 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 wholesome family communist rhetoric so why does it freak me out that russia is now turning to china for credit card payments because what if China suddenly doesn't like Russia very much and China decides that oh well we're gonna take control of all of these credit card payments and we can decide who makes credit card payments when they do becomes a little bit frightening and I don't think I need to elaborate too much on why all right with that with that fun little cap there I'm gonna sign off thank you so much for joining me today on the show I'll be back as soon as I pop as soon as more updates happen really I'll be back with another episode catch you later